Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be breaking down the main slate of college basketball DFS for Saturday, March 4th. It is the last big time Saturday before conference tournament weekend. Um, so we've got a nice big 12 game slate on DraftKings and nine game slate on FanDuel. That's probably the biggest FanDuel slate I've seen all year. And we got a lot of good games, a lot of good teams, a lot of good players in action. And pretty much all these games are going to have implications for conference tournaments or for NCAA tournament bids. And so it's going to be a lot of good college basketball on and it's a great day to just sit back and enjoy it in the words of john rothstein this is march so we're going to get you the preview here for the early slate today if you want to see my thoughts on the afternoon and the night slates make sure you follow me on twitter at mike's money picks i won't be doing a podcast for those two episodes um, but i will be doing the thoughts on twitter and then also, as always, if you want to see how I put my full lineups together, um, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. All right, feels good to be back, y'all. You know, I was off after a day because DraftKings didn't have the salaries up for Friday. Um, I stayed up late Thursday night and just kept waiting for them, and they never came. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I'll wake up early Friday morning, get it done before I go to school. Nope. Um, so... Um, ended up just not being able to do the Friday slate, which kind of hurt because I do think that the Friday slate was a pretty good one for all the mid-majors that were involved. But anyway, I'm back and we're talking about the Saturday slate. So enough with the introductions. Let's go ahead and start breaking it down. But first, a quick word from our friends at Anchor. All right, so let's kick things off by talking about the games we want to target. And first on that list on the DraftKings slate is St. John's at Marquette. Currently has a total of 158, according to Vegas. Kent Palm has this one as Marquette 87 to 73. So not only do we get 160 point total from Kent Palm, but we also got 87 from Marquette. That's quite staggering. But it's not all that surprising when you consider that the previous matchup was an absolute running gun fest. It was 96 to 85 Marquette. St. John's currently is the fastest team in the country in adjusted tempo, according to Ken Palm. So definitely want to get a piece of this game. And if you're looking for a piece of it, look at the previous performances. The biggest performance in the previous game was Joel Soriano for St. John's with 43.8 and Olivier Maxence Prosper, aka Omax Prosper with 39.8 fantasy points. So um, don't be afraid to go back to either of those guys. Joel Soriano really makes sense because Marquette hasn't really done a great job of defending big men all season. And he is a guy who will do it with scoring and rebounding. And so you really want to get a piece of this game. Now, the second game, and this one is the highest on FanDuel and the second highest on DraftKings, is Alabama at Texas A&M. And so the total in that one is currently 150.5. Ken Palm has this one as Bama 77 to 74. Bama's currently second in the nation in tempo, according to Ken Palm. Now, generally speaking, Texas A&M has been a pretty frustrating team to play guys in DFS from this roster. Um, They don't really play at a fast tempo. And they play a lot of guys and they do really inconsistent things with their rotation and with their usage, especially from the forward position. But we're kind of starting to see things settle in from them a little bit. So I'm starting to think that this could be a game where you could target some Texas A&M guys. Wade Taylor, the fourth and Tyrese Radford have really settled in as just these high usage type of players. And, you know, they're going to be the two that are going to be doing the bulk of the scoring for this Texas A&M team. Uh, And then after that, you got Anderson Garcia kind of settling in as a consistent value player play. Um, You could do much worse than playing Anderson Garcia, especially in this game environment. Uh, And then one thing that is notable is that they did play without guard Dexter Dennis against Ole Miss. In that game, Taylor and Radford were great. They both saw really solid usage. And Andre Gordon is a value play to keep your eye on. Uh, He had 15.5 fantasy points in 26 minutes 
And that wasn't a terrible game environment. It was a 69 to 61 game, only 130 points scored. So if Dexter Dennis does miss, I definitely think that that boosts up Taylor and Radford as well as Gordon. Uh, I would definitely put Gordon in my player pool if Dennis is out of the game. All right, that does it for the two games to target. Let's go ahead and talk about the high-priced guards. So um, just looking at the board for the guard position, the highest guy on the board is Marquise Noel of Kansas State, and he had a 52 fancy point performance in their first game against West Virginia. And... I'd see no reason not to go back to him, right? That was an outstanding performance. He's been pretty solid all season. But if you start to look at it, you can kind of start to nitpick a little bit. It was an overtime game, so you did get five extra minutes of basketball. He did have 10 assists, and he had seven steals in that game. And those are two numbers that some might say are not sustainable. However, kind of looking at all the metrics it kind of makes sense. West Virginia is a team that gives up a lot of assists and they give up a lot of steals. They have a very high turnover rate and they have struggled over the course of the season with smaller guards such as Marcus Carr from Texas and Dewan Harris from Kansas. And Marquise Noel is smaller and better than both those two guys. So uh, ooh, that kind of hurts saying that about Marcus Carr. But anyway, um, I think that Marquise Noel, just a great play. I, I have no problem going back to him after that 52 fancy point performance. I think that that represents more of a ceiling, but I definitely think the floor is somewhere around 40 points for that game. Now, Bryce Hopkins for Providence had a stat line of 24-8-3 against Seton Hall the first time they played. I would prefer him to be cheaper um, given his recent form. Um, kind of a little bit worried about his usage rate. He has not been over 22% in four straight games, but I do like the matchup against Seton Hall. They're not a good rebounding team, uh, and he is a guy who pretty much essentially plays the four spot. Uh, and so you're looking at a guy who has dual eligibility, high up, high rebound upside, and if the usage rate can get back to where it was uh, about two weeks ago, he can be in for a really good performance. We haven't mentioned this guy directly yet, but Tyler Kolick of Marquette is a great play. Um, you know, just great game environment against St. John's. Been great all year. No problem going back to him, especially in a game stack. We already talked about Wade Taylor the fourth. I like him as well. Now, Damian Ball of TCU is coming off of his best performance of the season, and this is currently his highest price of the season. And so I'm probably not going to chase points on Damian Ball. Um, I just think that, I don't know, I would rather, you know, be early to him than be late to him. And I think that this would be an example of being late to him. Now, in the 7K range, we're going to get point guard Santiago Vescovi with Zakai Ziegler being out for the season with a torn ACL. So here's where the math kind of breaks down, right? Vescovi's going to move to the point guard spot. Ziegler previously had a 23% usage rate. Vescovi previously had a 19% usage rate. Now, that's not me saying that immediately Vescovi's going to jump in and have a 42% usage rate because you add them together. Like, that's not going to happen. But I definitely think that it'll be north of 23%. It'll certainly be north of 19%. And so with that extra usage at a fairly affordable price tag, I actually think Vescovi has a lot of upside. Now, I would also expect to see more usage and more minutes out of Triple J, Josiah Jordan-James, and Jemai Meshack. I think those two guys could stand to benefit as well. And if Tyreek Key is healthy, that kind of throws a wrench into things um, because he will probably take some of that production away from Triple J and Meshack. But Tyreek Key, if he is healthy, is a very intriguing play. Um, now, one thing that might scare some people away from this is that the first Tennessee-Auburn game was an absolute rock fight. It set the game of basketball back by about 40 years. It was a 46-43 to game and 89 total points, and it was just ugly. It was physical. It was um, 
it was more of like, honestly, I see why people call these schools football schools after watching that. But anyway, I think you're going to get a good game environment. I think Vescovy is going to see incredible usage at the point guard spot. It'll be interesting to see how it shakes out, but I'm definitely willing to roll it on Vescovy this Saturday slate. Now, staying in the 7K range, Posh Alexander from St. John's, Tyrese Rad from Texas A&M, both got great game environments, both in my player pool for this Saturday. Now, let's talk about Mike Miles Jr. for a second. So, preseason Big 12 Player of the Year was having a great season until he got hurt against Mississippi State, and he has come back and played four games. He has not been over 25 fantasy points in a game since returning from that injury. Look, the big Mike Miles game is coming. It's going to happen. He's going to be back. The question is, are we going to have the foresight to see it when it does happen? Now, I don't necessarily think that this is the best matchup for him against Oklahoma, a team that doesn't really play with a whole lot of tempo. Um, you know, he had 30 fancy points against them last time, which would be very serviceable. But I just think it's going to happen eventually. And when it does happen, you're going to want him in your lineups, and he's going to be underpriced. So um, just something to keep your eye on and keep note of as we head into the postseason. Last guy in the 7K range, Georgia Tech's Miles Kelly has been spectacular with Davon Smith out of the lineup. Davon Smith being injured for this Georgia Tech team really just created a huge usage void that just kind of let a lot of other players shine. And Miles Kelly has been the big beneficiary of this. He's had 26 or more fantasy points in every game since Davon Smith got injured against an ACC opponent. So I'm not counting the Florida Tech game for that one. So Miles Kelly, super consistent, super high usage, solid matchup with Boston College. I think he's a great play in the 7K range. Now in the 6K range, Nick Smith Jr. of Arkansas is in this range again on DraftKings. FanDuel, he's actually much more affordable in the 5K range. Now he cooled off his little hot streak majorly against Tennessee with only 14.5 fantasy points, but I'm willing to give that a pass. Tennessee's one of the best defenses in the country, uh, certainly one of the best in the SEC. And we know that Nick Smith Jr. has some upside. He had, you know, he had 38 fantasy points the game before that game against Tennessee. And Kentucky's a team that's going to play at a little bit better tempo and be a little worse at defense than Tennessee. So I definitely would would have no problem going back to Nick Smith Jr., especially on FanDuel where you get that cheaper price tag. Now, if Kaysan Wallace for Kentucky misses this game, it'll be Antonio Reeves handling the ball for them. And Reeves is a guy that we played a lot when Wheeler and Frederick were out. Wheeler's still out, by the way. Um, and just kind of, you know, he had all this usage, had all these shot attempts, and didn't really do a whole lot with it. Maybe, you know, Wallace being out would finally be a chance for him to really, really, you know, do something with all that usage. So I definitely think Antonio Reeves has a lot of upside on Saturday. Now, last one in the seven or the 6K range, you got Georgia Tech's Kyle Sturdivant. He's got three straight games over 28 fantasy points. And then bleeding into the 5K range, Boston College, Jaden Zachary going up against him, has two straight games over 27 fantasy points. I actually think this Georgia Tech-Boston College game might be a sneaky stack because neither of these two teams play defense very well. Um, and so you're going to see a lot of points scored. And so I kind of wouldn't have a problem going with either of those two guys. Now, after Zachary, though, the 5K range is kind of ugly on this slate to me. I think there are better point-per-dollar options in the 4K range, but let me go ahead and hit the highlights for the 5K. Milos Uzan of Oklahoma. Is it Milos or Milos? I don't know. I'm going to go with Milos. Milos Uzan has been great, but I don't like the matchup against TCU. Justin Hill of Georgia had incredible usage in their last game. He had a 32% usage rate and had 17 shots in a 29 fancy point outing. I kind of don't mind going back to that, and I kind of think Georgia-South Carolina is another sneaky game stack against two teams that are not good at defense. Now, also, last guy in the 5K range, I'm not ready to quit on Bruce Thornton. Look, I've been talking about this Ohio State point guard situation all year. There's value in that spot. 
Bruce Thornton has a chance to give you a good performance. I'm not saying he will, but he's got a chance to as long as he's in that spot. Now in the 4K range, Andre Corbello of St. John's, great price, great game flow. Now, you never know when Corbello is going to do something dumb and get teed up and get thrown out of the game in the first half, but hopefully that doesn't happen. Now, what is kind of concerning, though, is he did have that kind of three-game absence where it was never really um, explained why he was absent. But anyway, he had that three-game absence, and he has returned since. He has not been over a 19% usage rate since he returned, and his season average is 23%. So, you know, the stat lines since he's returned have not been bad. So maybe his usage rate gets back to that 23% number, and, you know, maybe he delivers a really big performance. I could definitely see it out of Curbelo. Now, the rest of the best plays in this 4K range all come from the SEC. Javon Quinterly of Alabama probably has more upside than anybody else on this slate for his price tag. Uh, he was an all-SEC player last year, and it ended the season with a season-ending injury. And he has played like that all-SEC player in his last two games. He's had 29.3 and 42.5 fantasy points. And they've been close games, y'all. Like, it hasn't been garbage time. Like the game against Auburn, down in the second half, there were situations where they were going to Javon Quinterly when they needed a bucket more than they were going to Brandon Miller when they needed a bucket, which says a lot because Brandon Miller is probably going to be a top-five pick in the NBA draft. Now, what is encouraging for Quinterly – is the minute totals that he's been getting. They've, the last two games, they've been 28 and 36, which he had not gotten a 28 in-conference play until the last two games. So if you look at his game log, you look at his usage, it certainly isn't consistent. He's certainly not a guy I would play in cash games, but the upside is just absolutely incredible for Javon Quinterly. Now, Auburn's KD Johnson had a 34 fantasy point game against Bama on Wednesday, and I kind of called him big game KD Johnson because he just gives off huge J.R. Smith energy, like just a guy that has no fear, irrational confidence, not afraid to shoot the ball in any big spot. And he really shows up in big games. Well, this is a big game for Auburn against Tennessee. Um, opportunity to pick up a huge win, which could advance them in seeding or a loss could potentially move them onto the bubble. I think he will bring his absolute best effort. Whether that means it'll be a good fancy performance is to be seen, but he definitely gives you some upside. Georgia's Cario Okendo has taken 42 shots in his last three games, which are by far his most in any three-game stretch this season. I have no problem going back to him. Like I said, this Georgia-South Carolina game, sneaky stack ability. Speaking of that game, in the 3K range, there are two South Carolina guys that are worth mentioning. Both of them are playing big minutes without Chico Carter, who I believe is now out for the season, and that is Jacoby Wright and Zachary Davis. Um, both are, you know, 3K plays, so you know, you know, you're not expecting a whole lot, but they definitely have a chance to reach value. And then last two, first one is Dale Bonner of Baylor. So I don't know if Keontae George is going to play or not. I haven't really read anything definitive either way. But if Keontae George is out, like I'm locking Dale Bonner into my lineup on DraftKings. On FanDuel, he is much more appropriately priced in the 5K range. But on DraftKings, he's down here at 3500 And... I see no reason not to go to him, right? He's had 22 and 25 fantasy points in the last two games without Keontae George. Obviously, Keontae George being healthy would very much eat into that. But if George is out, like, just lock him in. Like, I, I, I see no reason not to. Like, 22 fantasy points is like a seven times value game from where he's at in terms of salary. Now, last guy that I want to mention is a total shot in the dark. Like, don't, like, say that I'm guaranteeing this or locking this in. Total shot in the dark. But I think you might see a little bit of the talented freshman Adu Thiero for Kentucky if Kaysan Wallace misses. Um, if Wallace misses this game, they're going to need some guard play, and they're going to need some guys that can get buckets. And Thiero 
has a chance to be that guy. He hasn't played a whole lot of minutes all season, but the talent is there. I've said this on the podcast all season, always bet on talent. All right, that does it for the guard position. So let's take a quick breather and then let's break down the big fellas. All right, so the top of the board at the four position sits none other than Oscar Sheboy of Kentucky, who is coming off a back-to-back 50 fantasy point performances. And look, he's been outstanding in those last two games. Like, he's had pretty much ceiling games in his last two. Uh, But I got to be honest here. I'm kind of concerned about this one against Arkansas. When you want to play Sheboy, you want to play him against teams that are poor at rebounding because he's going to get a lot of offensive rebounds, get you a lot of putbacks or opportunities for assists, right? You also want teams that take a lot of shots inside because it's going to give him opportunities for blocks and they're going to be easier rebounds for a center. Arkansas fits none of that. He only had 26 fantasy points against Arkansas, which kind of backs up all my theories. Generally, I think the Mitchell brothers are just not a good matchup for Oscar Sheboy. Not only are they solid rebounders, but they're big. And because there's two of them, they don't really have to be dependent on to play a lot of minutes. Like, if you think of the Mitchell brothers as one player, like, that's one player who's playing all 40 minutes and has 10 fouls. And so, pretty much, like, the Mitchell brothers can expend all their energy on Sheboy and limiting him and just making sure that he doesn't do well. Now, which one of the Mitchell brothers it is, I no, have no idea any, at any given moment which Mitchell brother is in, but I think you're going to see Sheboy matched up with one of them the whole game, and they will be down there just banging on him, fatiguing him, making him work, not letting him hit the boards, and I just don't see it being a great day for Oscar Sheboy. Now, if you want to play devil's advocate, maybe does he see a little more post-up touches with Kaysan Wallace out? Maybe, but I don't know. I just... I'm not willing to make that big-time investment in Sheboy. I think there's better options further down the board. Now, speaking of further down the board, the next one up is Brandon Miller of Alabama, who has only been over 36 fantasy points once in his last five games, and it was the 65 fantasy point, 41-point, and 8-rebound game against South Carolina. So we have seen the ceiling game from Brandon Mitchell, and if I'm sorry, Brandon Miller, and so the, the Mitchell brothers are still on my mind. So anyway, we've seen the ceiling game from Brandon Miller, right? And if he gets it, you're going to be ecstatic. Like you're just going to be like over the moon because the ceiling is incredibly high. But I just don't necessarily like know if he gets there. Like, don't get me wrong. I think this is a solid matchup against Texas A&M for him. But he just, he's shown the ability to just hit that ceiling or get you like three times return on his value. And he's not exactly a guy that I'm interested in playing for that reason. Now, we mentioned the rock fight between Auburn and Tennessee that only had 89 points scored in it the last time these two teams played. And in that game, Jernai Broom still managed 32 fancy points. So if you want to kind of do the correlation there, if he scored 32 fancy points in an 89-point game, if this game gets to 130-140, he could be in for a really good day. All right, now there's a guy that I'm going to name here that I, I got to say, if he played for any other more relevant team, he would at least be in the 9K range, right? If I told you that there was a guy who was averaging 42 fantasy points per game in his last nine games, and one of them was over 60 fantasy points. You would think that I'm probably talking about somebody like a Zach Eady or an Oscar Sheboy or a Trace Jackson Davis, but I'm not. I'm talking about Javon Franklin. And if you don't know who that is, it's probably because he plays for Georgia Tech. Now, he's been averaging 42 fantasy points per game in those last nine, and what's more impressive is, is he hasn't had a bad game in those nine games. He's been over four times value for his current salary in nine straight games. I think that he's going to go under-owned just because nobody knows him and he plays for Georgia Tech, but that statistical profile just is outstanding, and I think Boston College is not a bad matchup for big men. 
Now, heading down to the 7K range, South Carolina's Gigi Jackson has been hit or miss lately, but I really do like him against Georgia. Remember, Georgia's the team that we saw Oscar Sheboy have the ceiling 70 fantasy point performance game against. They're a weak rebounding team. They rank 239th in offensive rebound percentage, according to Ken Palm. And everything that is in South Carolina's recent performances backs that up, right? Jackson had 39.3 fantasy points against Georgia in the first game. Even more intriguing, teammate Hayden Brown had 35 fantasy points against them in that first game. I really like Jackson. Jackson because he, you know, he gets a little more usage, he gets a little more involved in the offense. But I definitely think that both Jackson and Brown are in play against Georgia on Saturday. Now, the other two guys that I like in the 7K range are actually playing against each other. Joey Hauser of Michigan State has been on an absolute tear lately, and his best game in that tear was a 40 fantasy point performance against Ohio State in the first matchup. As we get closer to the postseason, Michigan State's kind of revolving their offense around Hauser and just his ability to knock down shots and to kind of come off of all kinds of screens and dribble handoffs and ball screens. And they're just getting him involved in ways where he can shoot, right? And he's been doing it well. And so I see them continuing to do that against Ohio State. Uh, I see no reason for him to not have a good performance. Now, on the other side, Justice Suing has had at least 26 fantasy points in every game since Zed Key's season-ending injury. But the one cause of concern for Suing is that he did have only 15.5 fantasy points against Michigan State the first time these two teams played. But hey, Zed Key played in that game. So I definitely would be willing to bet on Suing's increased usage without Key in the lineup. Now, I'll be honest, the 6K range does not really appeal to me. If I'm being totally honest... I kind of think this is a five-guard, three-forward slate. Like, I really think that there's definitely some options, like I just mentioned, in the 7K and 8K and even the 9K range at the forward spot. But looking down at the 6K range and below, it's kind of rough. I kind of like the value plays at guard even more, especially if some of the guys that we were saying could be injured are, in fact, out of the lineup. I do think that Trey Mitchell of West Virginia carries a little bit of upside. We've seen him have some big-time performances. Kansas State's a team that is susceptible to big men, and it is a really good tempo spot. Um, but he just doesn't really have a whole lot of consistency with his performances or with his usage. Now, Omax, Prosper, Marquette, we have talked about. I do like him a lot. Now, at the bottom of the 6K range is Asuna Suni of Iowa State. Now, we saw Dylan DeSue absolutely tear Baylor up inside last weekend. And Asuna Suni kind of fits that mold, right? Just a you know, lengthy big man who excels at getting offensive boards, can finish around the rim, and can get you a few blocks as well. I, I kind of think that there's a chance for a big-time performance there, but I, I'm not totally all in on that one. Of anybody in this range, Omax Prosper would be my guy that I'd go with. Now, heading down to the 5K range, it's not really a ray of sunshine down there either. Both the Tennessee guys, Adu and Phillips, are playable, but I don't really love the matchup against Auburn. Maybe the increased usage without Ziegler falls to one of them. I don't really know. Now, Louisville's J.J. Trainer is the king of recent form in this range. Like, he's been outstanding. But I really don't trust it against Virginia just with the slow tempo they play at. And, you know, they're really good at defending the interior. I just don't know if I trust even the great recent form that he's had. However, he did have 22.3 fancy points against them last time, which if you play him and he gives you that return again this time, it wouldn't kill you. Like, that's pretty much four times value for his salary. The 4K range has a few guys that I can get behind, though. Mikael Mitchell has been the more used Mitchell brother against Kentucky. Um, in their first game, he played 29 minutes and had 30 fantasy points. Like I said earlier, I can't tell the Mitchell brothers apart. I'm not still entirely convinced that Eric Musselman can tell the Mitchell brothers apart. And when you look at their minutes played over the last month, um, I don't know if he knows which Mitchell's in the game. And it, it kind of shows because their minutes totals are just so erratic and you just never really know what you're going to get out of them. But he was the one that had the better go of it against Kentucky the first time they played. 
Now, a guy that I do really like in the 4K range is Felix Opara of Ohio State. So he's been the replacement at center for Zed Key since he got injured. And he's a guy that I had just been sticking in my lineup every time because of it. And he finally gave a big return in the game against Maryland. He had 33 fancy points in 31 minutes. And we know that Bigs had performed well against Ohio or against Michigan State this season. And so I'm not saying that, you know, Opar is the type of guy that they're just going to feed it down low to like a Drew Timmy, but he's definitely got a little bit of upside because Michigan State has struggled to defend this position. Also in the 4K range is Arkansas's Jalen Graham. He's flashed a lot of big-time performances. Like, he gives you genuine 30-point upside in this range, but I'm not buying that this is the game that it's going to happen. They've all seemed to come in lopsided wins. And even without Kaysan Wallace, I don't necessarily think that happens against Kentucky. If you want to kind of like, I don't know, if you want to gamble on a build and, you know, put him in there, like there's worse decisions you could make. Like he definitely gives you a higher ceiling than a lot of other guys in this range. Now heading out of the 3K range, for whatever reason, Flo Thamba for Baylor has been really good in his last two games. He's recorded a usage rate of over 24% in back-to-back games. Now, whether that has anything to do with Keontae George being out, I don't know, but, you know, they're not, they don't play the same positions. You know, he he plays center. Anybody can just pass it to the center. Uh, It doesn't have to be Keontae George or anybody else for that matter. So I don't know why, but he's been good. And so maybe that would be worth a look, possibly. I don't know. I'm trying to talk myself into him, and he's probably the guy that I could talk myself into the most in this range. Now, in terms of punt plays, Jacob Groves is a solid punt play. He's had four times value in his last two games. And then one more punt play, Chris Moore of Auburn, I think is worth a look. He played 25 minutes against Alabama. And Dylan Cardwell, their other center, like the other true center, really, Janai Broom's more of a four, if we're being honest. Um, Dylan Cardwell is probably not going to play in this game. Now, the downside to Chris Moore is that he did play those 25 minutes against Alabama, and in it, he only recorded 8.8 fancy points. It's not great. It's about a third of a fancy point per minute. Um, So pretty much he was just out there um, running and boxing out and posting up and setting screens and not really touching the basketball a whole lot. But anyway, you play 25 minutes, and maybe you luck your way into more rebounds next time. I, I, I kind of hope so. But, you know, just a guy who, if you're looking to punt the position, is worth a look. You could do much worse than Chris Moore. All right, that does it for the forward position, and that does it for the Saturday Main Slate Preview. As I said earlier, if you want to see how I put all this information together into my build, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Picks, And... If you want to see my thoughts on the afternoon and the night slates, make sure you give me a follow on Twitter at Mike's Money Picks. I'm also more than happy to answer any lineup or start sit questions that you might have. Appreciate those of y'all that have reached out with some over the days. And I hope that, you know, more often than not, my advice is hit. Um, I, I believe that my track record's been decent, not perfect. I'm never going to claim to be perfect, but I am going to claim to be able to do all the research and, you know, do it in a process that makes sense and a process that will result in some victories. So, um, yeah, it, reach out if you have any lineup or start sit questions, or if you want my opinion on any of the players on this slate. All right. So that does it for this episode, guys. Uh, now I'm going to try something new this week. I am going to do a Sunday episode provided the DraftKings and FanDuel get out their salaries on Saturday night. I, I will record one on Saturday night. Um, and I will see, you know, kind of what the viewership numbers are, what the reception is. And, um, you know, just see if we can do a Sunday slate and and do it right, because there is not a whole lot of content on Sundays for college basketball DFS. So I'm going to try to, you know, carve out a lane where nobody else has. We'll see how it goes. But just, you know, if you want to know when that episode drops, subscribe to the podcast feed. uh, So that way you will have it when it becomes available on Saturday night.
All right, so that does it for the end of this episode, guys. Best of luck in all your DFS endeavors tomorrow. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see you all next time. Mm-hmm.